So today, I want to say a blessed Father's Day to all fathers, all grandfathers, all great-grandfathers, and even soon-to-be fathers in the house. Now, a special mention also to fathers that are no longer here with us, but definitely played a big part in shaping and forming who we are today. And I would also like to wish a blessed Father's Day to all spiritual fathers in the house. Now, how do you know if you are a spiritual father? Let me ask you a few questions. Are you a leader in the church? Are you in a position to influence and guide another person from a younger generation? Are you a role model for the younger generation to look up to? If you have answered yes to any of these questions, then yes, you are a spiritual father in the house today. And whether you know it or not, you have a responsibility to influence and guide the younger generation. And today, we want to honour you. And I was asking God, God, how can I deliver a Father's Day message when I myself am not a father yet? Yet. Well, the bad news is you're stuck with me, okay? And you're getting a Father's Day message from me, whether you like it or not, from a person who's not a natural father yet, okay? The good news is that I will soon join the ranks to be a father. Amen. My wife is heavily pregnant already. We've got two to three more months to go, and our baby is due in mid-September. You know, the doctor first told us uh, that our baby will be due on 16 September. How do you know that your destiny is tied to Malaysia? <laughs> That's a clear indication right there, right then, right? Yeah. So I was talking to God, I was telling God, you know, I do not have the experience of a natural father yet to be able to share, to benefit my fellow church members, especially the fathers who are here physically today and tuning in online. You know what? God rebuked me because I've always said this, I will preach from my experience. I always say this, God told me this, God rebuked me, he said, don't let your experience limit me. God said this to me. Share my word. You know? Share what I will do for the fathers. And he gave me a message. He gave me Malachi chapter 4, verse 5 to 6, which I believe is a message for all fathers here today, including myself. So today I stand before you having zero experience as a natural father, but knowing full well that through the Word of God, you can have the full experience of the Father in heaven. So today, I'll be sharing to you from the book of Malachi 4, 5 to 6, about turning the hearts of the fathers to the children. Why don't you turn your Bibles to me to Malachi chapter 4, verse 5 to 6, and let's read this together. Everybody turn your Bibles. You can refer to the screen if you, have, if you did not bring a Bible. All right, let's read this together me. One, two, three. Behold, I will send you Elijah, the prophet, before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to their fathers. Least I come and strike the earth with a curse. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord, and he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to the father, lest I come and strike 
the earth with a curse. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, we know, Lord, that you want to bless the fathers in the house today, natural, spiritual, the fathers of the society, Lord. We ask, Lord, that you send the spirit and power of Elijah, send the anointing of the Holy Spirit to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers. Lord, we ask, Lord, that you release a great season of restoration and mercy upon the families of this church, Lord, that we will see fatherhood restored and many mighty men rising up among our midst, Lord. We thank you, Lord, in Jesus' most mighty name we pray. Amen, amen. All right, let me give you a bit of information about Malachi chapter 4, verse 5 to 6. Malachi 4, verse 5 to 6 is the last two verses in the Old Testament. Last two verses. It is the final words of the Old Testament. And we know, we know, someone's final words are always very, 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 very important. And these are the last two verses. Hence, it's very important. And why is it important? One, because it is an end-time prophecy. Behold, I send you Elijah before the great and dreadful day of the Lord. What is the great and dreadful day of the Lord? It is the second coming of Christ. It is an end-time prophecy, which makes it even more, even more important. Now, the second thing is, it is also a promise. There is a promise in this verse, and the promise is a father's plan of restoration. He wants to restore the family. The promise that before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord, God will send the prophet Elijah, an administration of the Holy Spirit that will serve to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers. Hence, today, the title of my message is The Prophecy and the Promise. All right? The Prophecy and the Promise. Malachi 4, 5 to 6. It is both a prophecy and a promise. Then in Matthew 17, Jesus, together with Peter, James, and John, they went up to Mount Transfiguration. And as Jesus was praying, his face suddenly changed. His face glowed. He shone like the sun. His clothes became white as light. Jesus was revealing his messianic identity to the three disciples. And on the way down the mountain, his disciples referred to the scripture. And they referred to this scripture, Malachi 4 verse 5. They said, Jesus, we know now that you are the Messiah. You've revealed yourself to us. You've shown us your glory and your power. But the Word of God tells us that before the Messiah comes, that before the great and dreadful day of the Lord, that Elijah would come. Where is Elijah? If you're the Messiah, where is Elijah? Malachi 4 tells us that Elijah has to precede the coming of the Lord. Jesus replied in Matthew 17, 11 to 13. Let's see. Jesus answered and said to them, Indeed, Elijah is coming first and will restore all things. But I say to you that Elijah has already come. And they did not know him, but did to him whatever they wished. Likewise, the Son of Man is also about to suffer at their hands. Then the disciples understood that he spoke to them 
of John the Baptist. Jesus said, Elijah is coming. And that Elijah will restore all things. And he also said that Elijah has already come in John the Baptist. Now, a lot of us here are probably thinking, Jesus, um, I think you made a grammatical error over here. You know, how can Elijah be coming in the future and yet has already come? How? How many of you here know that Jesus doesn't make mistakes, right? He meant exactly what he wanted to say. It is not a grammatical error. Jesus was talking about two separate events. Number one, he's talking about his first coming. And number two, he's talking about his second coming. In his first coming, John the Baptist came in the spirit and power of Elijah. Let's see Luke chapter 1, verse 13 to 17. Luke chapter 1, verse 13 to 17. Let's see, 13. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your prayer is heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. This is John the Baptist. Let's jump to verse 16. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. Verse 17. He will also go before him, as in Jesus, in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. You see, John the Baptist came in the spirit and power of Elijah in Jesus' first coming. And in the same manner, before the second coming of the Lord, the same operation of the Holy Spirit, the same prophetic anointing and power of Elijah will rest upon the church and turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers. God is going to pour forth the spirit of Elijah through the operation of the Holy Spirit in the church. Now, there is going to be an operation of the spirit and power of Elijah, just like how it was operating in John the Baptist, and it will come through the Holy Spirit. I believe this time, it is not going to be on one person, it's not going to be on a few, but it's going to be on many. It will come on the church. It will come on the church. So now you see Malachi 4, verse 5 to 6, is both a prophecy and a promise. Now, We'll look into the prophecy part and then we'll look into the promise part, all right? So let us look into the prophecy part. See, Malachi 4 is the end-time prophecy. It's an end-time prophecy that reveals a key part of God's strategy. And that key part is family. Families are a key part of God's end-time strategy. Families, a fundamental building block that God established at the very, very beginning, all the way in the Garden of Eden. See, of all the different spheres in society, God chose family to be the key strategy. He didn't choose governments, He didn't choose religion, education, media, economy, arts and culture. No, He chose family. It could have sounded differently, you know, if, if God chose government, you know, the prophecy would probably go something like this. Behold, 
I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord, and he will tear down the unrighteous kings. He will restore government and raise righteous kings, and righteous laws will fill the land. It would have sound something that's pretty awesome, right? Quite awesome, right? <laughs> okay, it, it, but he did not. He could have chosen education. Behold, I will send you the prophet Elijah before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord and the knowledge of God will cover the earth like the waters cover the sea and all should come to know of the Lord. Uh, that's pretty awesome prophecy as well, but no, no, it was not like that. Or he could have chose religion. Behold, I will send you the prophet Elijah before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord and he will cleanse the priesthood of filth and dirt. He will cleanse, he will rend their garments and he will clothe them with righteousness and he will restore holiness among his servants. I think that's a pretty awesome, awesome prophecy. But no, God did not highlight any of these prophecies, any of these fears. He highlighted families. Families, you see, families was the first sphere of society that was established. And upon families, the rest of the spheres are established on top of families. It is a fundamental building block. Once you have a wholesome family, a wholesome unit, now the policies in government will be the right ones. Economy will, will focus on families, arts and media will be wholesome. Everything will be together. So before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord, he will send his prophet Elijah and he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to their fathers. I do not know about you, but this prophecy gives me hope. It gives me lots and lots of hope. <laughs> when you are looking at the many other end time scriptures about family, it gives me lots and lots of hope. Let's look at some. 2 Timothy verse three, chapter 3, verse 1 to 4. But know this, that in the last days, perilous times will come, for men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents. See, he put disobedient to parents right beside blasphemers. Wow. Unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure, rather than lovers of God. Now let's look at Matthew 24, verse 12. And because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. Matthew 10, 21. Now a brother will deliver up brother to death, and a father his child, and children will rise up against parents and cause them to be put to death. So you see, running simultaneously with these disheartening words about disobedient children, about lovelessness, about pride, about rebellion and betrayal, right in the middle of that, in the darkest hour, there is Malachi's prophecy, a prophecy that is shining like a beacon of hope for us. See, in the most troubling of hours, God has provision for families and he will release an operation of the Holy Spirit that will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers. Now, we know that family is a key strategy in God's end-time prophecy. 
Now, the second part of the prophecy I want to highlight is why did God highlight the ministry of Elijah when addressing the issue of fatherhood? You see, Elijah was not a natural father. He was a spiritual father to many, especially Elisha. Elijah was never married. You know, why choose the prophet Elijah? Why not Isaiah? You know, in the Bible, it says that Isaiah had a prophetess wife and he had prophetic kids. God gave Isaiah the name of their kids and it was one super long name, super, super, super long. Yeah, it's like, wow, insane lah. Why not Isaiah? Isaiah is the picture of fatherhood. Or why not the patriarchal fathers? Why not Abraham, Isaac, or Jacob? I mean Abraham, right? He was the father of many nations. Why not Abraham? Why Elijah? So I'm going to give you three reasons why Elijah. Number one, Right before Elijah is introduced to us in the Bible, there is a very short story, a few verses before Elijah is introduced in the Bible, in 1 Kings 16.34. There is a story of Heel of Bethel. Hail of Bethel. Hail, a man from Bethel, which is a revival center, decides to do something that is totally insane. You can see here. He decides to rebuild Jericho. Remember when we did the book of Joshua? You remember? In the early, early this year, we did the book of Joshua and we covered Jericho. I remember very well because I was the one preaching that sermon. Well, Jericho fell and Joshua put a curse on whoever would rebuild Jericho. And the curse that whoever rebuilds the city of Jericho will lay its foundation with his firstborn and with the youngest, he shall set up its gates. You know, when you build a city, you start with the foundation at the very beginning. And towards the end of rebuilding the city, you put up the gate. So you will lay your foundation, the, the foundation, with your firstborn child. And you will finish the city with your youngest child. Now many people in the land know of this curse. But maybe it has already become a myth. And Hayil of Bethel thought it was a hoax, maybe. Let's give him the benefit of doubt, okay? But when he lays the foundation of Jericho, his oldest son dies. Now he must have known that the curse is real at this point of time and decide to stop rebuilding the city. But no, I believe that he weighed out the pros and cons. Do I be the founder of the new city of Jericho, the one that restored and rebuilt Jericho to its former glory? Or do I lose my two sons. Well, Hail of Bethel chose Jericho. The new city of Jericho would outweigh the life of his two sons. See, 1 Kings 16.34. In his days, Hail of Bethel built Jericho. He laid his foundations with Abiram, his firstborn, and with his younger son, Sigab. He set up his gates according to the word of the Lord, which he had spoken through Joshua, son of Nun. That's story number one. Story number two. In the days of Elijah's ministry, King Ahab was the ruler. And King Ahab was not walking in the faith of his fathers. When a king is not aligned with God, the kingdom goes astray. And why am I telling you story number one and story number two? Is that these were dark days. Very, very dark days. When kings do not heed the word of God and when fathers are willing to exchange their children 
for profit, for fame, and for success. And it is in this time that Elijah emerges. Elijah comes forth to speak the word of God and to challenge the spirit of the age. The ministry of Elijah challenges the spirit of the age. Ministry of Elijah challenges the spirit of the age. Now, the third reason why I believe God chose Elijah is this. When we think of Elijah, we always think about Mount Carmel. We always think about how, you know, Elijah called down fire from heaven, burned every single thing, and then he killed all the prophets of Baal. But we rarely discuss how God prepared him for that supernatural encounter. And God prepares Elijah by sending him to take care of a widow and her son. And not just take care of this single mother and a son, but he would also raise the son from the dead. You see, Elijah is the picture of the father that raises children from the dead and takes care of the poor and the widowed. Only after he did that was he qualified to call down fire from heaven. So what have we learned about the prophecy? We learned that families are a key part of God's end time strategy and that the ministry of Elijah challenges the spirit of the age. Now, let's move on to the promise, all right? The promise, Malachi 4 verse 5 to 6 says, Behold, I send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord, and he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to their fathers. He will turn. He will turn. It is not he might turn, he maybe will turn. He will turn. The spirit of Elijah, the operation of the Holy Spirit will turn. That's a promise. And more than that, there will be restoration. Restoration of the family unit. That is the promise. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to the fathers. And you see, it's not the father or the children that is the source of the change. But it is the spirit of Elijah, which is the operation of the Holy Spirit, the prophetic anointing and power that is coming to rest upon the church that will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children. Now, how will this happen? You see, God himself is a father. And his heart is turned towards us, his children, his sons and daughters. And he wants to reveal his heart to us. Only when we behold his beauty of his love, only when we behold his love, can we then love others. The more we behold his beauty, the more we behold him, the more we understand his love, the more we behold and he reveals his heart to us, the more we receive, the more we expand our capacity to love others. You see, I'm not a father yet, but I'm already planning a lot of things to do with my son. It's a boy, all right? My son. You know, I'm planning to take him go hiking, camping, go-karting. You know, I love go-karting. I plan to play video games with him. I love playing video games, but uh, my, my wife disagrees with that. But yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. anyway. <laughs> you know, but I would also love to tell him how much I love him how much I care for him, the plans that I have for him. Now, I want to tell him about my God that loves me and loves him so much. Now, I have a vision about my family. 
And my wife is an amazing prayer warrior, you know. So I have a vision of she praying. Maybe I'll share a word or two. And then my son worshiping. And then we'll come together and worship God. I have that vision in my head. What more? The Father in heaven that loves all of us. He has a plan for all of us. He has a purpose for all of us. And he wants to reveal his heart to all of us. God the Father will restore families by revealing his heart to us. So restoration comes by knowing the heart of God the Father. See, John the Baptist, who was operating in the spirit of Elijah, saw Jesus coming and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. The ministry of the spirit of Elijah points towards Jesus. God the Father is revealing His heart to us through His Son, Jesus. Now, one of the titles of Jesus in Isaiah 9 verse 6 is Everlasting Father. We just sang the song, Bapa Yang Kekal, My Everlasting Father. Isaiah 9 verse 6, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. You see, Jesus did not just act like a father. He is a father. At the core of his very being, he is a father. The gospel tells us, whenever you see Jesus, you see the father. Whenever Jesus speaks, it's the father speaking. No, Philip asked Jesus, Jesus, show us the father that we may believe you. And Jesus said to Philip, Philip, I and the Father are one. And do you know that this is good news? This is good news because we do not have to guess what our Father in heaven is like. He has shown it to us through His Son, Jesus. You do not have to wonder if God loves you. He loves you. He loves you to the point of death. Jesus revealed that the Father loves us. In the most glorious hour, in the darkest of hours, He loved us till the very end. So number one, God the Father is revealing His heart to us through His Son, Jesus. Number two, God the Father is revealing His heart to us through the Holy Spirit. Romans 5 verse 5 says, Now, hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. You know, our only reference as human beings to the Father's love without the Bible, without the Holy Spirit, is through our earthly Father. But Romans 5 verse 5 tells us that God the Father pours out His love into us by the Holy Spirit, by the Holy Spirit. And because of this, experiencing the Father's love is now not dependent on the experience of your earthly father's love. You know, our earthly father, no matter how good they are, is not able to demonstrate the love of the father in heaven. And not every father is good, by the way. There are fathers that does not care for their children, who would abandon their children. There are fathers that have left the family, making their children fatherless. Well, there is good news. Scripture tells us that God is the father to the fatherless. 
You do not, if you do not know your father, guess what? You have a heavenly father. If you have not experienced the father's love, know this. The father in heaven is calling you. He is reaching out to you. He waits for you. He waits and looks for his prodigal sons and daughters. And when he sees them, he will roll up his pants. He will run towards you. He will hug you and embrace you and put a ring on your finger and robe you on your back. And he will kill the fattened calf for you. And he wants you to experience that love by the Holy Spirit. See, God, the Father, is revealing his heart to us through the Holy Spirit. Number three, God the Father is revealing His heart through the church. You see, church, God is going to restore the Father's heart to men in the church. God is going to turn the hearts of natural fathers to their natural children. God is going to turn the hearts of spiritual fathers to their spiritual children. And God is going to turn the hearts of the fathers in church and the fathers in society to the fatherless out there in the world. God is restoring the father's heart to men in church because it is the church that will display the father's love to the nation and to father the nations. You know, church, we live in a world that is becoming very, very close to what we read in end time scriptures. Do you know in 1 Timothy 4 verse 13, it tells us that there will be a day when even marriage will be outlawed. Marriage will be outlawed. It's not going to be about what gender marry, what gender anymore. No. The institution of marriage itself will be contested and it will be outlawed. Can you imagine that? In the age we live in, Families are being torn apart. Fathers and mothers are abandoning their children. Children are emancipating themselves from their parents. We live in a time where there is growing, a growing number of children who are not staying together with their parents. You know, while I was writing this message, I did some research. I went online, I googled, and I found that according to the U.S. Census Bureau, this is in America, out of 18.4 million children, read this to me, 18.4 million children, one in four live without a biological step or adoptive father in the home. And this is a proper research. It's all cited down there. It's a proper research, okay? Research shows that a father's absence affects children in numerous unfortunate ways, while a father's presence makes a positive difference in the lives of both children and mothers. One in four that's 25%, 25% of children that are fatherless, that are living without a father figure, reading, living without role models. Oh, let's go on to the next slide. You see, these are some of the statistics that I found while doing my research. Children living without their fathers, father in a home are 47 more likely to live in poverty. Men with absent fathers are more likely to become absent fathers themselves. Women with absent fathers are more likely to have children with absent fathers. Adolescent boys with absent fathers are more likely to engage in delinquency than those with fathers who are present. Who are present. You might be thinking, this is, this is America. But you know what? The numbers in Malaysia, 
is also growing. In Malaysia, we, we also have an increased rate of children that are abused and neglected. And we see it time and time again in media coming up, popping up a lot. And the most recent is the, the Bella case. Do you, know that, do you know the harm that it does to children growing up without parents? You know, on 18 December 2019, the UN General Assembly, which is 193 member countries, including Malaysia, adopted a resolution that would end orphanages. UN calls for end of orphanages. See, BFM, huh? this one, right? UN calls for the end of orphanages. Why did they call for the end of orphanages? Because studies show that orphanages do more harm than good. And the recommendation is that children should be placed under the care of family, maybe natural, foster, or adoptive. All right? Even the UN recognizes that children growing up in orphanages cause more harm and are willing to end orphanages. Church, the number of children growing up fatherless is on the rise. We need the spirit of Elijah upon the church to challenge the spirit of the age and to bring back fatherhood to the nations. The church, the men in church, needs to rise up to become fathers to a fatherless generation. If we don't, 25% and it's climbing, it's going up. We need to turn the tide. We need to turn the tide. I'm going to close soon. Before I close, I want to give five practical ways for us fathers to turn our hearts to our children. Wives, you can take note of this. Write this down. Pray about this for your husband, but don't criticize. Huh? Okay? Don't, don't criticize and, and nag your husband. See, lah, they don't say this. Ah. I don't love this. Ah, okay? Just pray for them. Okay? I, I know, I know the feeling. <laughs> so, for young men in the house, those who are not married or those who do not have kids yet, write this down. These are good preparations because God is going to raise up a faithful group of men who will go against the spirit of the age, against temptation and stay true to their families. So number one, ask the Father to reveal His heart to us. Some of you might say, you know, I have bad experience with my earthly father. How can I be a good father, yet alone father, a fatherless generation, father generation? I'm here to tell you that you can. God is here to reveal his heart to you and to re-father you. If you've had a bad experience with your earthly father growing up or even a good experience or even an absent father, the good news is that today you can experience the love of the father by the Holy Spirit. Do you know the heavenly father said one of the most amazing things to Jesus even before Jesus started his ministry on earth. The heavenly Father spoke from heaven and said, this is my beloved Son who I am well pleased. You might be saying, Shola, Shola, He is pleased. Shola, He is love. Jesus is sinless. He is perfect. And on top of that, He is the Son of God. He is the Son of the Most High and what more? He is one with the Father. But let me tell you this. See, when Jesus prayed 
he prayed one of the most outstanding prayers in John 17, 23. And it's outstanding because it contains an amazing revelation. Jesus says, the Father wants you to know that He loves you the same way He loves me. What do you mean, Jesus? God the Father loves me? A mere human being? He loves me with the same intensity and ferocity that He loves you? Yes, church. Yes, the same way the Father in heaven loves Jesus is the same way He loves you. We need to get that revelation, church. We need that revelation today. We don't just need to come to church, listen to a good sermon, feel good and go off. No, we need an encounter with the love of the Father. We need to come to Him with all our pain, with all our baggages, with all our bad experiences of our earthly Father. We need to come before Him, place it before Him and receive His healing love. And with that, when we receive His healing love, we can then forgive our earthly fathers for their shortcomings. And we forgive for ourselves, but for another reason, so that we do not reproduce it in our next generation. We cut off the curse. We cut off the bad inheritance and we release the good. When you come before God and you receive His love and you encounter Him, it's not just for yourself. It's for the next generation. Which leads to my second point. We need to ask the Father to turn our hearts to our children. You see, church, a turning is required. And the good news is, He wants to turn our hearts to our children. We, fathers, Man, we need to go into an intentional season of prayer and reflection, asking God the Father to turn our hearts. Lord, turn my heart. You might think that you've already loved your children as much as you can, but church, oh, you do not know. You've not even scratched the surface of the Father's love. The love that is going to pour out into you, you are going to pour out into your children and it's going to be exceedingly, and it's going to be wonderful. Do you know that there are many men who are willing to sell out their children and their legacy for their own short-term gratification? I'm going to tell you a story. King David. King David, he was supposed to go for war, but he did not. He decided to stay back. He went to the roof of his house, of his palace. He looked over the walls and he saw the equivalent of today's pornography. He saw Bathsheba bathing. And his heart was filled with lust to the point he commits adultery and he led on to murder, the murder of Uriah, Bathsheba's husband. Do you know what prophet Nathan said to David about this? David, he said, David, because you did this very thing, a sword will be loose in your house for all the days of your life. And do you know what a sword looks like? A sword looks like this. An infant son of his died. His daughter was raped by one of his sons 
The son that raped the daughter was killed by another son and that son was killed by a cousin and another son died. All in all, he lost four sons. One at birth, three were killed by other family members. For a bit of lust, a bit of porn, a bit of scandal, a bit of adultery, he loosed a sword in his house. David, was it worth four sons and one daughter being raped? Was it worth it? No. Church, we need to stop this madness. It is not worth it. It is not worth it. We cannot sell out our heritage for a little gratification. In today's language, what does it mean? We need to stop looking at pornography. We need to stop looking at the Netflix movie that shows a little bit of nudity, a little bit of sex. No, we need to turn our eyes away and we need to turn our eyes to God and to our children. We need to shift our eyes on what we see. Number three, we need to fight for our children's heritage. I'm going to tell you another story. King Hezekiah, he made an alliance with a foreign nation. He received gifts from the son of the king of Babylon against God's instruction. And prophet Isaiah said to him, because you made this alliance, your descendants will be taken to a foreign land and be made eunuchs. Eunuchs, come on. Do you know what Hezekiah said? Yes. Will this happen in my generation? No? Well, if it seems good to the Lord, so be it. What do you mean, Hezekiah? What do you mean? Did you hear Isaiah? Your descendants, your lineage, your heritage is going to be taken captive and they are going to be made eunuchs. Your children's heritage is going to be wiped out. Your heritage is going to be wiped out. And what did you say? You say that it is good? How about falling on your knees before God in repentance? How about returning the gifts and undoing the alliances? How about that? So what does it mean for us today? A lot of us, men, fathers, we focus on building our empires. We focus on building our careers, our businesses. We focus on our ambition, on our success. We try to climb, climb the corporate ladder. We make deals that God says, specifically say no. Remember the story of Hail of Bethel? His heart was so fixed on his empire, his ambition, his success, rather than on his children. Church, let me tell you, your success is not on the empire that you build, not on the career that you build, not on your work, but it's on your children and on your children's children. They are your heritage. They are your inheritance. Church, there are too many men of God selling their heritage, losing sword in their midst, in their household. We need to turn our hearts to our children and be unwilling to give up their heritage. Our heritage. Number four, you need to fight for your marriage covenant. 
Ephesians 5, 25 to 29 says this, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave Himself for her. And then verse 28, it says, So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. When we fight for our marriage covenant, we are modelling it out to the next generation of what faithfulness and what loyalty means. We are modelling out the union between the bride of Christ Jesus Christ. You know, my parents modeled this out very well for me. Now, my father got into an accident which, which caused him to be bedridden for a year. He lost mobility, he couldn't walk. My mother stood beside him day and night. Day and night. Subsequently, my mother had a back surgery as well, which caused her to be bedridden. My father was beside my mother all the way, all the way. They modeled it out so well. And because of that, I know how to love my wife. Because of that, I know how to give the best to my wife. I know how to cherish her in good times and in bad times. Number five. And we are and we are very familiar with this, we need to be, build family altars. You know, in my last vacation, we went, to, we went to Europe and we visited a few prayer houses, prayer altars. Every time we go somewhere, we try to visit prayer altars, prayer houses. And even in church, you know, every prayer altar, every prayer meeting that we go, a majority of the people there are women. Where are the men? Where are the men? I mean, women are great. Don't get me wrong. They have a mother's intercessory cry like no other. But men, men, when men come together and pray, the prophetic decrees and blessings are released into the family, into the church, and into the nation. Men, we need to rise up to our prophetic destiny as spiritual heads of the household and contend for our family, for our church, for our nation. We need to rise up. We need to rise up. You know, and we need to rise up and build family altars. We need to worship and we need to pray in our houses. We need to walk around our houses, on our halls, in our children's bedroom, praying and worshipping. Nothing replaces a man that's praying and worshipping in his own home, in his own bedroom, in the bedroom of his sons and daughters. Do you know, every time Abraham went somewhere, he builds an altar. He builds an altar unto the Lord. And when you read in the book of Genesis, those altars of worship that he built became places of prophetic encounters for his children and grandchildren and also the nations. I want to worship and I want to pray in my house. I want to pray in all the rooms so that one day my child, my son, my daughters, my sons and daughters will have a prophetic encounter with the Lord. Would you do that, church? Will you pray? Will you worship in the house, in your homes, in the children's bedrooms? Will you do that? Church, we need to contend for our children's prophetic 
destiny. There are too many men of God selling out their children's destiny for a little bit of gratification. We need to stop that madness and we need to contend for our family and our children's heritage. We need to fight. Men, we are created to fight for our families. We are created to fight for our families. And we are not fighting alone. God is fighting with us. And when He fights with us, we can draw on that promise that He will turn the hearts of us fathers to our children and of our children to our fathers. We can draw on that promise because it is in the Word. It is written. Now church, I know this is a heavy message to take in. But I believe that God wants to do something in this church. And He wants to restore fatherhood in this nation, in this church. Now I want to pray for every father that wants the grace of God to fight for your families. You might be going through a tough time in your families. You might have a wayward son or daughter. You might be struggling in your marriage. Your businesses, your works might be falling apart and you can't balance out family and business. Or it may be going so well that you can't even balance out. And you want to fight for your children's prophetic destiny. You want to fight for your heritage and your children's heritage. And you want to say, I need the spirit and the power of Elijah to come upon me. Fathers, I want to invite you to stand right now. If that is you in the house, I want to invite you to stand. Even if you're watching this in your homes and you want this, I want to invite you to stand in your homes wherever you are, whenever you are watching this. Stand up. Stand up. Everybody else, let's reach our hands to the fathers that are standing. If you are a family here, put your hands on your fathers. Let's pray. Father, we are here. Lord, you see our hearts. You see the fathers that are standing today, willing to contend for their families, willing to fight for their families, for their children's heritage, for their hair, for their own heritage. Lord, we ask Lord, that you release the spirit and power of Elijah today. Every marriage that's barely hanging on, release the grace from heaven for those who are struggling. Lord, we ask that you break in and you come and you release grace and you release mercy and you release love. Lord, give us a new love, Lord, for our wives and our children. Lord, do a miracle today. Turn our hearts. Turn our hearts, Lord. Bring forth love. Bring forth love into our household, into our hearts. Lord, break in, Lord. Lord, you say, Lord, that our marriage is a reflection of your very love to us, Lord. It is a picture of your union. So, Lord, we ask, Lord, that you will turn it, you will break in, and you will turn it, and you will make our relationships glorious. You will make our family units glorious. Lord, we ask, Lord, that you put fire right now, fire into the men in this church. Release 
your fire. Release your power right now. Release the spirit of Elijah right now into the fathers of the house right now. Strengthen the fathers to fight the battle for their children and for the generations to hold the line, to hold the line. In Jesus' most mighty name we pray. Amen, amen. Let's give God a big hand. You may be seated. You may be seated. Now that's not a group of people that I want to pray for right now. And this group, and this is for young men who are not married or do not have children yet. I want to pray for you. Every single young man in here, I want to pray for you. Or those young men who wants to be a father. You've heard the message and you want to be a father that will turn the tide. You want to be a father that will father the fatherless. You want to be a father that will fight for your heritage. Now, we're not just talking about natural heritage. We are also talking about spiritual heritage. If that is you, if that is you, I want to invite you to come to the front and we want to pray for you. Young men in the house, if that is you, you want to be a father like no other. You want to be a father that contends for your family. You want to fight for your faithfulness with your wife. You want to fight for your heritage. I want to invite you to the front. Well, everybody else, could you stand and we'll sing this song. And just like the promise in Malachi 4, verse 5 to 6, that you will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to their fathers. We know that your promise will come to pass. And today, we draw from that promise. Today, we draw from that promise that you will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, that you will restore family units, that you will restore family in this nation, that you will restore fatherhood in the church and spiritual fathers will arise in this church. Spiritual fathers and spiritual mothers will arise in this church. So we thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you, Lord, for your work in this place. We know, Lord, that you are restoring fatherhood in this nation. You are restoring fatherhood in this church. We ask, Lord, that a fire would fall into our hearts. Fire. Lord, we ask, Lord, for the spirit of Elijah, the spirit and power of Elijah to fall upon the church. Release the spirit and power of Elijah upon the church. We thank you, Lord. Now separate us now with your love. Keep us safe as we head off for lunch to homes. But we ask, Lord, that you bring our family units together, Lord. We thank you, Lord. In Jesus' most mighty name we pray. Amen. 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 Let's give a big hand to God.